This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Danner Boots. At Danner, they believe in the quality of their footwear, and Danner's Trail 2650 hikers are made with the company's tried-and-true standard for durability and comfort. Inspired by and named for the 2,650-mile Pacific Crest Trail, these versatile trainers are built to keep you moving quickly and confidently through any terrain. Crafted with lightweight materials meant to withstand tough conditions, they provide traction and stability on uneven ground. An ultra-lightweight foam midsole cushions the foot and maintains a light load, while the outsole offers confidence-inspiring grip for every step in any condition. Available with breathable mesh lining or waterproof Gore-Tex, the Trail 2650 is up for a variety of landscapes. Whether hitting the trail or strolling through town, these shoes are ready for the rigors and rewards of your next adventure. You can shop Danner's Trail 2650 hikers online at rei.com or through danner.com slash trail 2650. That's D-A-N-N-E-R dot com slash trail 2650. Celebrating the belief that there is always another adventure to look forward to, winter 2021 is getting geared up, and so is the Icon Pass community. Now's the time to start preparing for your winter adventures with your family and friends to return to the slopes or to try out skiing or snowboarding for the very first time. The Icon Pass is the multi-mountain ski pass that unlocks skiing and riding at over 40 unique destinations worldwide. Across these destinations, you can explore wide open spaces, breathe in that fresh mountain air, and discover new adventures with friends and family. Select the Icon Pass to optimize a full season or test the waters with the Icon Pass session for a day. On sale now, every 2021 Icon Pass comes with adventure assurance, giving you the confidence to ride. Discover what mountains and pass options are accessible to you and plan for a winter of adventure at IconPass.com. That's I-K-O-N-P-A-S-S dot com. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. The reality about through hiking is that I always thought that, you know, it would solve all my existential dramas and this and that. But there's so much time where you just end up thinking about food and pizza and ice cream and just these basic survival needs. This is Alina Drufovka. Now, I know that wasn't the most inspiring opening quote, but that's the point. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that some of you out there listening have dreamed about the time along through hike would afford for thinking, for figuring out all that big life stuff. I know I've thought about the luxury of hitting the pause button for miles upon miles in the woods, only to find clarity at the end of the trail. But for all that fantasy, there's something more comforting in Alina's story. Her long walks haven't been an escape or a cure-all, but they have played a very formative role in her front country life, through her relationships, her identity, and in her blossoming artistic career. I chose to air my conversation with Alina this week because her thru-hiking journey starts with the Appalachian Trail, an almost 2,200-mile trail that runs from Georgia to Maine. And Alina's story felt like the perfect opportunity to announce that we're launching a She Explores mini-series called Where We Walk on Monday, in partnership with the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. This special six-part series explores the women who help make the AT what it is today, as well as those who are helping to shape its future. The series kicks off on Monday with listener memories from the AT, and if you're tuned in now and subscribed to She Explores, it'll be the next episode that pops up in your podcast feed. And if you're not subscribed, all you have to do is hit the button, and it'll show up on Monday. 
I'm really proud of this series, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. But first, back to Alina and this week's episode. Alina grew up in Philadelphia, and her relationship with the AT started on a whim when she was 13. It was pretty happenstance that I went to the summer camp in New Jersey every year, and it was just a normal summer camp, but they had an optional two-week trip canoeing down the Delaware and hiking the Appalachian Trail. And yeah, I just on a whim decided to do it. Never expected to do something like that. I never camped. My parents weren't campers. And from the second I started, especially the backpacking portion, I just fell in love with it. I think it was really cathartic for me, especially at that time in my life. At the time, my parents were actually getting divorced and I had a lot of anger and resentment. And the trail was really the first time that I felt like I could let go. And I think a huge part of that was not being able to talk to my parents and just being in my own head. But beyond that, too, I think just being a 13-year-old girl, so much of my self-worth at that time was surrounding my appearance. I remember growing up, everyone on the field trips, they would have these hot or not lists, and everyone in the school would be ranked. And so that was just so much. Yeah, I know. That's so terrible. I feel like it's pretty common. I probably was naive enough not to know about it, but continue. (laughs) Yeah, I was like in the back of the bus when they're making this list. I'm like, oh, so I'm number 25. Um, But the trail was really the first time, especially since I was around only women on that trip and not having any mirror where I was really able to redefine my self-worth in different terms. And I think the biggest takeaway for me at that time was just this almost anti-consumerism mindset. I had grown up you know, with a mom, a grandmom, an aunt, and they all love to shop. And so much of their joy in life came from things, which, of course, you know, being a middle school girl, I like to shop, but it didn't really fill this like existential void I had since I was a young kid. And then finding other ways to find happiness beyond things was pretty huge for me and revolutionary and changed my whole life trajectory just this one trip. Did you keep going back out onto the trail and other trails, you know, after you were 13? Yeah, so I begged my parents every summer. My ultimate dream was to go to Alaska. I know it's such a total trope, but I fell in love with Into the Wild, the book and the movie. And I was like, oh, I have to go to Alaska. And I just idealized this so much. I would just watch it on repeat. (laughs) And so I finally convinced my parents to let me take a Knowles course in Alaska which was way more hardcore than, you know, like sauntering on the Appalachian Trail. My pack weight at the time was like double my size. We got our food resupplied through bush planes. Um, So it was way more hardcore. It was all off trail navigation. It rained for the first two weeks. And I think that was my first introduction to type two fun. But when I returned home to Philadelphia, I just felt so empowered by that experience and so confident that even at the age of 15 or 16, that I could like go out and lead my own trip, no problem. If you're not familiar with Knowles, it's a nonprofit global wilderness school that runs programs for ages 12 and older. In any case, you can hear in Alina's voice. She'd caught the through hiking bug and started making plans to walk from Georgia to Maine on the AT. Yeah, so ever since that first trip when I was 13, I was totally obsessed. I read every single book I could get my hands on about it. I had this giant bookcase and it's super nerdy, but I actually won a library award in my high school when I graduated and I was able to make my own section of the library. And so I added all these through hiking books, especially Becoming Odessa by Jennifer Farr Davis. Like that was super impactful since it was the first story I read that was from a woman's perspective. And then I actually, when I was in college, went and lived briefly on this commune in Virginia. 
You heard that right. Alina lived at a commune called Twin Oaks during a break from undergrad at Colorado College. At the time, I was studying sociology in college, and I was really interested in polyamory. So this was like the commune to go study polyamory. But I, I ended up switching and studying quantitative sociology and doing a lot of statistics instead, studying racial inequality in terms of how we use technology. Though Elena changed her major, that experience gave her the push she needed to follow through on her dream of hiking the AT. That summer, I had planned to go hike a section of the Appalachian Trail. Um, when I was 19, but my parents wouldn't let me go by myself, and I couldn't convince my boyfriend or my brother or any friends to go with me. So my plan B, I had always wanted to spend some time on a commune, which is super random, but I found one in Virginia online and sent them an email. And they're like, yeah, come on over for a month. And when I was there, I happened to meet all these women who were past AT through hikers. And just from talking to them, it really inspired me that, okay, this is something I can do solo as a woman. I don't need to wait till I find this outdoorsy boyfriend or have my brother go with me. I can do this solo. Elena started setting up her life around hiking the AT. I mean, the biggest thing that really happened when I was in college where I actually made it happen was I realized I could take all these additional adjunct classes, like super random ones, like ballet, modern dance, yoga, and they were free, these adjuncts. So if I did enough of them, I could take a semester off. And then my junior year of college, my dad actually got really sick. Um, He had been a smoker his whole life and he had developed COPD. Sorry, I'm getting that acronym wrong. COPD. He had this giant air sock in his lung and had to have all this surgery. And at that time, I just realized, like, you know, going to an expensive liberal arts college was putting a lot of financial financial strain on my parents at that time. So I'd always wanted to through hike. I had the extra credits, so I decided to just go for it. But there was definitely a lot of backlash since I don't come from a family that does this kind of thing, especially as a woman, a smaller woman. My mom was not on board, but at that point, you know, I was. 20 years old. And I told her I'm taking a semester off college, I'm doing it. And she cried every single day at the beginning, she made me carry three phones, which is really absurd. She got me one with AT&T, one with Verizon, and then also a personal location beacon. And I, I just remember doing that pack shakedown at Neil's Gap that they do for you for free. And the guy being like, Are you serious? You have three phones? <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, just taking all those extra courses really enabled it. But I still had to get back to school in, at a certain time at the end of August. So it was a huge time crunch. So I ended up definitely pushing my body way too much. And I did end up getting injured then in 2015 after 1,200 miles, which was very devastating. So how did you feel before that? Did you feel, you know, and I know it's every day you probably feel different when you're on the trail. But did you feel like you were where you were supposed to be? Oh, yeah. I mean, every day I woke up with so much purpose. I was so happy. It was like, wow, I'm really doing this life dream from when I was 13 years old and met these women by a water spigot in New Jersey that were like, yeah, I walked here from Georgia and I'm going to Maine. And it's like, okay, now I am that woman. I'm doing this. And I didn't have any pain. And I wonder now looking back if I was just so in love with the dream of being out there and through hiking that I couldn't feel the pain. I mean, bone contusions are something that build up over time, which is what I had. So I had to have felt something, but I didn't. I just woke up one day and couldn't walk. So I don't know. It's interesting looking back 
and I was so, so devastated. I mean, I, when I got injured and got off trail to go home, I was like, okay, a lot of people have injuries on trail. Like I just need to take a week off and I'll get back and I'll be fine. But my mom works in a hospital and she's like, no, you're getting an MRI before you go back. And I just remember so vividly being in her office when the doctor pulled up the MRI and his face just went blank. And, you know, I could tell he really didn't want to tell me, but it, it was something bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you could just see all over the MRI on both my knees. I had several bone contusions, which is the step before it fractures. When you got off trail to go to that doctor's appointment, were you doing the math in your head, thinking about the time you were losing, thinking about how many days you had left to hike? I mean... Totally. I mean, honestly, that's the reason that I don't want to do any more through hikes. That mentality, I mean, even on trails that I've gone back to, or like when I went back to do the AT in 2017 or the PCT in 2019, it's like, even though I don't have to go back to school and I don't have this end date with the weather window on these trails, you do have to constantly be crunching those numbers and be like, if I take this one day off, then I have to average 19.2 miles for the rest of this trip with one zero a month. And it's like, that mentality is no longer what being in nature means to me. And the through hiking culture, I think, especially with all this ultralight gear that's come out, is really changed. People are more fixated on the miles. And I just don't find the same meaning in it that I used to in the beginning. But back in 2015, when Alina stepped off the trail more than halfway through, She didn't know that she'd one day feel that way about through hiking. Now, in that moment, she wanted to get back on the AT to finish what she started. We'll hear about how Alina got back on trail after this. We all know what it's like to be inspired by the landscape around us, and few trails stand out in North America like the Pacific Crest Trail. With 2,650 miles, the Pacific Crest Trail provides a wide variety of terrain over its epic expanse. And when you're in front of ever-changing trails, you need your shoes to be able to step up to the challenge. It's that need for versatility that inspired Danner's new hiking shoe, the Trail 2650. Built to move quickly and confidently through the terrain of your choosing, the Trail 2650 can easily fill the role of a lightweight hiker or trainer. For Danner, this meant looking to lightweight materials that could withstand the demands of the trail, like an ultra-lightweight foam midsole, while still keeping comfort and stability in mind. Whether you're out for a day hike, going on a backpacking trip, or simply navigating some technical terrain. Whenever the timing's right to hit the trail, you'll want to be ready to say yes to adventure. The Trail 2650 keeps shifting weather conditions in mind, which is why it comes with a lightweight mesh lining or a waterproof, breathable Gore-Tex option. So keep your eyes focused on that next trek ahead of you, knowing that the foundation you need to get out there can be found on your own two feet. The rest is up to you. You can shop Danner's Trail 2650 hikers online at REI or through danner.com slash trail 2650. That's D-A-N-N-E-R dot com slash trail 2650. So on this show, we talk a lot about the mind-body connection we feel in the outdoors. But it's always good to be open about all the other ways we can prioritize our mental health, including seeing a therapist. And BetterHelp is a great way to connect from anywhere with a licensed professional therapist who specializes in depression, LGBT matters, anger, grief, self-esteem, anxiety, and more. If there's something on your mind, BetterHelp will assess your needs, match you with a therapist, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. And there's a lot going on right now. So it's okay if there are things on your mind. 
BetterHelp was my first therapy experience, and I was so impressed by the consistent level of communication via text. Plus, you can schedule weekly phone calls or video calls for real-time feedback. It's all super flexible, too. You could change your appointment by week or have a standing appointment. BetterHelp is convenient, and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. As a listener of this show, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com explore. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash explore. We're back. We last left Alina leaving the Appalachian Trail in 2015. She would return again in 2017, but she had something that she really wanted to do before then. Yeah, so I finished off college my senior year, and then after that I went and worked for Knowles as a diversity and inclusion fellow for the summer then I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do after I ended up like two things that were important to me was going to Colombia and going to Israel, since those are the two parts of my identity. I'm, my mom's Jewish and my dad's from Colombia. And I just really wanted to get to know my culture, especially Colombia, because I had this huge family in Colombia that I had recently reconnected with through writing this grant. My second cousin is a, actually a big artist in Colombia called Fer- Fernando Botero. I don't personally know him, but a lot of my Colombian cousins are painters. So I wanted to go there and study his art and reconnect with my family. My dad actually has a twin sister he hadn't seen in 30 years. So I dragged him along on this grant that I got from college um, and reconnected with them. So after college, it just felt natural to go back there, spend some more time, improve my Spanish, and just learn more about that culture. Alina had learned a bit about Colombian culture growing up with her dad, but she'd bristled against it. Living at an eco-village in Colombia helped her better connect with her dad and her roots. Definitely. I think it was something that there was a lot of backlash for me growing up since I went to super white schools. And so it was something I always tried to downplay. And my dad actually, he had worked as a substitute Spanish teacher at certain points um, at my high school and middle school. And for whatever reason, I was like mortified by it. And I think it is very much just like being in such a white environment, like I didn't want my friends like seeing my dad speaking to me in Spanish. And like my mom would tell me growing up as a kid, my dad would try to read to me in Spanish and I would throw the books across the room and be like, this is America. You have to speak Mm -hmm. English. And my whole life, I always responded to my dad in English and he would speak to me in Spanish. And then once I was in Colombia, you know, I had to embrace it. Like no one spoke English where I was in this somewhat remote eco village. And from that point on, I started speaking to my dad for the first time in Spanish when I would call him from Colombia. And just, yeah, like learning more about my family history. I mean, I have such a big family. My dad's one of seven kids. Like, I don't know. It it did feel important to me. And especially being alienated from them. Like, I used to go to Colombia every Christmas growing up. And then at a certain point, my mom just decided it was too dangerous, like after the age of seven. And then we just never had any communication until I wrote that grant to go back. And that just reconnected my family. Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, it's really cool. After Colombia, Alina returned home to Philadelphia and she delved into art. And then after that, I came back to Philly and started making art, which was not something I ever intended to do either. But there's a lot to this story. But it actually went back to when I was in college. I took this very strange course called Naked and Delicious, um, which my mom was not thrilled with that course title. (laughs) Uh, But it was these two experimental Japanese performers, primarily dance performers. 
but there was just like a lot of room for creativity in that class and the final project was completely open-ended. And so for the final project, I had taken a drawing class prior where I did a lot of like nude figure drawings and I, for whatever reason, really did not like the art that I created for that class. And so I had all these giant pieces of paper with these nudes on the back, but I decided to start making abstract art for my final project for this class. And I just fell in love with that process. And when I went back to Philadelphia after college and after Columbia, I'd given my brother one of these paintings and he went and got it framed at this like small um, frame store slash gallery near where we lived. And the lady, when he went to get it framed was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, would your sister want to be in the show? Um, that the gallery was putting on and that really opened the doors of like huh like an outside force like thinks my art's cool like this is something I could do professionally. Hold on to that thought. Alina still had her sights on finishing the Appalachian Trail. So in 2017 I went back to attempt the AT again from the beginning. Originally my intention was to start where I left off in Pennsylvania. And then I saw a $50 one-way flight to Georgia. And I was like, well, fuck it. You know, I already have all the gear. <laughs> that makes sense. And this time I'm, I'm going to do it solo because the last time I had hiked with a trail family and I'm going to respect my body. I'm going to take it as slow as I want. Like I only hiked one 20 mile day over the course of six months, which is pretty rare for a through hiker. I was very much like, okay, I'm doing 13 to 15 miles every single day, no matter what. Like if I don't have any friends and no one wants to walk with me, that's fine. Like this is the only way I believe that I can do it. Alina was determined to hike the trail solo, but the trail had other ideas. Alina met her now boyfriend on day negative one. Did you start hiking together right away? After day negative one? (laughs) Yeah, so we met at the hostel in Dahlonega, Georgia. And we were one of very few people to do the approach trail to the Appalachian Trail, which is an eight-mile add-on, which is the old southern terminus before Springer became the southern terminus. And I was hiking up the stairs, feeling all confident because I was ahead of other people. Then all of a sudden, he comes up behind me, and we start talking, and we realize, like, oh, he's already done the northern half. I've already done the southern half. And I remember really cheesily being like, oh, well, together we make a food hiker. It was <laughs> <laughs> so cringeworthy. Um, but, yeah, we just, like, immediately started hiking together. And then <laughs> the drama continues because on day two, I got injured again. I sprained my ankle really bad and had a golf ball size swelling Ooh. on my ankle. And had to, yeah, and I was like, really, day two? Like, I don't know. I mean, like, going back to the trail, like, I knew there was a chance that I would get injured again after what happened the first time. And I figured, you know, my knees were already going to be sensitive, but I never anticipated having an ankle problem. And I had to get off the trail for three days and just stayed in this really shitty motel by myself. But right before I got a shuttle to town from this gap, I just impulsively was like, hey, I should get your number. You know, we'd been hiking with each other for two days and we'd really connected and I was feeling impulsive, which especially for me, that was not something I ever did. That was the first time I've ever asked a guy (laughs) for his number. And then he texted me a few days later being like, oh, I'm going slow, winky face. And then we caught up in Hiawassee, Georgia, and he had actually taken an extra zero day to wait for me, which was... (laughs) really cute we had only known each other for like two days and at that point like you know we hadn't been romantic or anything we were just friends um but that's just the kind of guy he is and it's like I was such a sucker because like I said going into it I was like okay I'm not gonna be involved with any guy like I'm not letting a guy define this journey 
But on day one, we actually stopped at this other gap and there was a woman who was from China just bawling, crying and looking at her phone. And we were like, oh, what's going on? Are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I just found out a friend died of cancer like back home in China. And, And there was like a huge language barrier and none of us really knew what to do or what to say. Like, obviously we were like, oh, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? And then my now boyfriend, Lyle, he came over and he didn't say anything. He just went and hugged her. And I was like, okay, that's the kind of guy I want to be with. So the decision to hike solo was kind of out of Alina's hands at that point. But her boyfriend was actually only planning on hiking until Harper's Ferry, about halfway through the trail, giving Alina plenty of the alone time that she craved. What did it feel like when you two left uh, parted ways at Harper's Ferry and you set off by yourself for the first time on the AT? It felt very heavy (laughs) because I had my tent back and all my gear. (laughs) Uh, But no, I mean, it also felt good. Like the first couple miles were super awkward for sure. It was like, oh, I'm just alone by myself now. And this is really hard. My pack's really heavy. But it also felt really right. Like I definitely missed him. But this was why I was out there. That's what I wanted. I wanted to unlearn you know, all the anxiety that my mom and my grandmom had given me surrounding like being a woman and traveling alone. And it was like, okay, like I need to camp alone. Like I can't just have this be a crutch. Like I knew I fell in love with him genuinely and it wasn't just so I wouldn't be alone, but it's hard. And like, because I've been with him, I hadn't really developed a tramley. Like I knew people around me, of course, but I was very much on my own. And because I was so committed to pacing myself at this 13 to 15 miles a day and a lot of hikers they do you know they'll do a random 30 mile day and then take two days off in town and so that consistency wasn't really something the other hikers around me were doing so I did often find myself alone and you had lots of time to think (laughs) yeah a lot of time to think which is what I wanted but I don't know the reality about through hiking is that I always thought that you know it would solve all my existential dramas and this and that but there's so much time where you just end up thinking about food and pizza and ice cream and just these basic survival <laughs> needs. Like, it's kind of like, I think about a lot like, do you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of mm-hmm. needs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a lot of concepts. And it's like that. It's like, okay, I can't really reach this like self-actualization if my basic needs of like food and shelter aren't really consistently being met. I'm constantly at a calorie deficit and in pain. <laughs> Despite the challenges of the trail, Alina enjoyed doing it for herself. She told me that her favorite state was Maine, but the famous hike up to Mount Katahdin was the last big hurdle to completing a goal she'd set for herself at 13 years old. I'm scared of heights, so I don't love, like, it's beautiful, but it's definitely the most challenging climb on the AT to me. And so it's like, you get there. And like, it's funny because I used to lead trips in the summer in Maine in the 100 mile wilderness um, with teenage girls. And the final trip was always Katahdin. But I always had to suck it up and pretend not to be scared of heights because I have these like 14 year old girls that are looking up to me as a leader. But then going back there after having hiked the AT for over six months, it's like, oh, I'm so confident. You know, I've been out here for so long. And then I get to Katahdin, I'm like, oh my God, I'm terrified. (laughs) How did I forget? Fear and all, Alina submitted Katahdin and completed the AT. She sent me a photo of her atop the famous sign commemorating the northern terminus. She has a big smile on her face, and she's hoisted her two hiking poles into the air. 
It's a foggy day, and on a day like that, I typically hike wearing leggings and a rain jacket. Alina's wearing a Wonder Woman costume. It feels fitting. We'll hear more from Alina after this. Celebrating the belief that there is always another adventure to look forward to, winter 2021 is getting geared up, and so is the Icon Pass community. Now's the time to start preparing for your winter adventures with your family and friends to return to the slopes or to try out skiing or snowboarding for the first time. And Icon Pass unlocks over 40 unique destinations and a variety of mountain communities to explore with fresh air with your closest family and friends. You can choose from their full Icon Pass at 1049, the Icon Base Pass at 749, or test the waters with the Icon Session Pass four day at $429, all through early October. No matter your skill level or how often you ride, seek the unique characters, adventures, and destinations this winter with the help of the Icon Pass, whether in your hometown or a short drive away, because every experience is one for the books, worth the photos and video memories, and your next outdoor adventure is no exception. The mountains connect us, and this unique community is what can help hold us together and remind us to keep safely seeking joy this season. On sale now, every 2021 Icon Pass comes with adventure assurance, including credit towards the 21-22 pass in case of COVID-19 closures, and more time to defer the value of an unused 2021 Icon Pass. No questions asked. Discover pass options and plan for a winter of adventure at icompass.com. That's I-K-O-N-P-A-S-S dot com. We're back. So you ended the 2017 trail, obviously really happy that you, you did finish this time, but also thinking about the next hike? Yeah, I mean, the PCT was always on the horizon. I think most people who successfully complete the AT at least entertain the idea of the PCT, especially because you know that it's more beautiful objectively. Obviously, it's a totally different trail. But yeah, that was always in the back of my mind that that was something I wanted to do. And at the time, I think I also wanted to be a triple crowner. I'd heard about it. It was like, oh, well, that's the logical next step. Before attempting the Pacific Crest Trail in 2019, Alina and her boyfriend flew to Israel in 2018 to hike the Israel National Trail, a 636.9-mile path that crosses the entire country of Israel. She actually got the idea on the AT. Somehow, I'm trying to remember it now, this business card just like landed in my hand like another hiker had given it to me. And on the business card was this book in the hostel that these um, the hostel owners had written this book about the Israel National Trail. And I think it was actually some Israeli camp counselors who had given it to a thru-hiker and they gave it to me. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool, the Israel Trail. And I looked it up and it was like on National Geographic, top 10 hikes in the world. And it was modeled after an Israeli who had hiked the Appalachian Trail. Um, so I was immediately like, okay, this is my next trail. This is what we're going to do next. We could do a whole episode on each of Alina's trail experiences. But I was struck by how Alina sought to develop deeper relationships with both the Jewish and the Colombian side of her identity through the outdoors and travel. Alina hiked around 1,800 miles of the PCT in 2019, but was stopped by a heavy snow year. The experience changed her perception of what through hiking is all about. I think the PCT was the first time I let go of my like purest ideology surrounding through hiking, because for me, I got 
really frustrated on the AT when I went back in 2017 because I felt people were skipping around all the time. And then you'd go on Instagram and, oh, they're already at Katahdin or they're just at the highlights. But then you see them just getting in a car and hitching 20 miles ahead. And that was really challenging for me, especially when I was alone, like in Maine, and there was some bad weather. And I just remember so distinctly going into town with these two guys. And then when we decided to go back to the trail, I was like, oh, hey, like, should we share a shuttle or something? And they were super cagey. And I then realized, because I heard them talking to the hostel staff, that they were being dropped off at a different point, like 50 miles ahead. And I was super judgmental about it. It felt like a slap in the face of like what I, I thought through hiking was. And I was like, this title doesn't mean anything if people are skipping around. I mean, that's why I am like really careful with my language surrounding the Pacific Crest Trail. Like I don't say that I'm a through hiker. I say that I hiked it and hiked 1800 miles, but I definitely let go of a lot of that because that's not what it's about. And it was very judgmental of me at the time to look at it that way. Like everyone, you know, the whole hiking idiom, like hike your own hike. It's true. I mean, who am I to judge? Like everyone's journey is different and there's reasons why people were skipping ahead. Maybe their family was meeting them at Katahdin. Um, yeah, so I let go of that on the PCT, and my boyfriend definitely helped me with that because we would see a side trail into town, and it's like, okay, we know we can get into town if we take this side trail before dark. Like, why not? We're literally skipping one mile of the PCT if we take this alternative, and I'm happy I did it that way. And do you, do you feel differently about wanting to be a triple crowner? Yeah, I mean, I have done, like, a small section of the CDT, and I have friends you know from my times on trail who've gone on to do it and you know again the weather window is even shorter it's more miles there's grizzlies there's a lot less people and I think doing the PCT just affirmed for me that like what I loved about the Appalachian Trail and like what I fell in love with like yes I love hiking but it really was like the community and the people and the PCT because it was such a hard snow year and people were flipping and flopping all around like there wasn't that community at least I didn't find it and I think for the CDT, like, of course, people find their own smaller community, but I just think that there's not enough people hiking the trail. And it's just not really what I'm looking for in life. I think I got to this point where I realized I love through hiking. I love that culture. I'm so inspired by the people that do it. But for me, it became my comfort zone going on the next trail. If planning her life trail by trail was Alina's comfort zone, she's well outside it now as she pursues a freelance art career. And yet, she's still connected to the trail. Yeah, how would you describe your career path right now? <laughs> I mean, it's been all over the place. I mean, I've worked at a wine company in Canada. I've done corporate sales. I've done canvassing. I've, you know, done a retail job and I've worked at an art gallery and you know, now I'm doing the art full time, which is not something I ever thought would truly be feasible. And I really think it is because of COVID. And it has been this huge silver lining that you know, I've always been passionate about art, but kind of like through hiking to a lot of people, it's kind of futile. It's like, why would you walk for six months? Well, it's like, why would you paint? Like not many people actually make a sustainable career in the arts. But with COVID, I felt like there was nothing to lose. Like, my boyfriend and I, we were in Costa Rica just for vacation and, you know, COVID happened and we had no jobs to return to. And Costa Rica was taking COVID even more seriously than the United States. So all the national parks were closed. We were only allowed to drive once a week, depending on what our rental car license plate ended in. And we couldn't really go or do anything. So I was forced to 
entertain myself. And what came out of that was my hiker art. Well, what was the first one that you made? Like, what did it look like? <laughs> That's the funniest one. The first one I made was Banana Blazer. Do you know what that is? I don't know. <laughs> so it's a trail term for when a woman like is chasing a guy. Hence the banana is a phallic symbol uh-huh. in this situation. <laughs> so for a guy, it's called pink blazing if they're going after a girl. And so I don't know. It just came to me. Well, like originally in Costa Rica, I was just making very different art, like jungle art, a lot of new jungle art. And people wanted prints like back home or wanted to buy it. And I was like, oh, I don't know when I'm going to be able to go back to the U.S., but let me look into making prints. And just through looking into that research, I was like, oh, well, I wonder what kind of trail art's out there. And I couldn't really find much. So especially because the Appalachian Trail and all the long trails, we have such a colorful language with things like banana blazer and pink blazer and hiker trash. I was really surprised that no one had made these kinds of designs. And the banana blazer was the first one that came to mind, just like having a little female hiker silhouette hiking on top of a banana. (laughs) (laughs) And then I made a pink blazer one that had these pink cats, which was, you know, an innuendo as well. But then I started making (laughs) hiker trash ones. And I just like wanted them to be fun and quirky and something that through hikers could relate to at the end of the day. And it was super fun. And like my art's totally evolved from that, but it was a really good project while being abroad, stuck in a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) And I got the attention of other through hikers. Yeah. The the first thing I did from Costa Rica was I reached out to um, Hiker Royalty, which was just an account making a lot of really funny hiker memes that I've been following. And I just had this idea, like once I had the prints up of just like having a little meme contest and like from there, it kind of opened the floodgates of being part of this like virtual through hiker community, which like I've always been on Instagram and social media, but I wasn't on it daily. I occasionally would post a photo from my hikes or travels, but I wasn't ever really part of that community. And now I definitely would say I am. Hmm. That's cool. I mean, it's like another ease of the community was one of the things that you love the most about through hiking. Yeah, exactly. And I think especially like during COVID right now, it's like, okay, yeah, I have like my boyfriend and I call my mom and like my few close friends. But beyond that, you know, it's pretty solitary. So being able to communicate with all these other hikers and like, especially through the process now of doing all these commissions, like, I feel like I am like entering their world and their trail stories and have this community that I never really had before. It's almost stronger than the community I had while I was hiking in a weird way. Alina describes the colorful, surreal commissions she paints of hikers as portals to the trail, a connection when many are feeling far away. I don't know. It fills me with so much purpose and joy, just like imagining and, you know, actually seeing photos of my art in people's homes all over the world and giving them this little portal back to the trail, especially now during COVID and these somewhat lonely times where a lot of people can't go on the trail. I don't know. I really do have hope that it's changing. I mean, when I originally got into backpacking and spent time on the Appalachian Trail when I was a teenager, there was very few women. And now when I was on the PCT, it felt like it was 50-50. So that really does give me hope that the future of through hiking will be diverse and will look closer to what the demographics of this country are. How did your commissions evolve to to start telling a deeper story of diversity on the trail? 
Yeah, I think it honestly started before I even took trail commissions. I think in light of the Black Lives Matter movement and social media really focusing on this, like it's been really interesting to watch how the Black Lives Matter movement has then trickled into this topic of diversity and inclusion on the trail, which, yeah, people always talked about it here or there, but it, it feels like a focal point on social media now, which is really exciting to see. And I think through the process of the Black Lives Matter movement, I started making these protest paintings um, of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And I was like, wow, this is the first time I've ever painted a Black person. Like, how have I never done this before? Like, obviously, I've been making art for a while, but my art's generally not of realistic people. But still, like the nude models I were painting from, they were all like fair skinned people. And I think through that process, I started looking back at my first batch of trail drawings and I was like, huh, like, why is it that like me as a Latina female hiker, my prototypical hiker in my mind is still a scrawny white guy with a beard. And it actually took me back to, I took this class in college called um, Art and Society. And we talked, you know, I'm going to use my fancy liberal arts words, but (laughs) we, we talked a lot about how art works dialectically as both shaping society and being a reflection of society. And I realized that my art at that point, my trail art, well, sure, I've only been doing it for a month or so, was very much just a reflection of the thru-hiker community as it is now. And the truth is when I've been on these trails, I would go six months without seeing a single black person. Maybe I would see like two people of color. And that's not what I want the trail to look like. And obviously there's tons of different kinds of people hiking and doing outdoor things, but I think the through hiking community in particularly is predominantly white. And that is something I, you know, very passionately want to see change because through hiking has changed my life. And I think by featuring more paintings, like as artists, I get to choose to paint whatever I want. Like (laughs) I can create whatever reality I want. I don't need to just create it as it is. And through that, you know, I started painting more diverse hikers. And I think that just makes a lot of people feel more welcomed when they land on my Instagram page or website, and they see themselves in those images. And I hope that, you know, it empowers people and makes more people want to go on the trail and feel welcomed. This artwork hasn't just changed how others potentially see themselves on trail. It's changed what Alina shares as well. For me, like, yes, like I identify as Latina, but it wasn't something that I was ever like broadcasting on my social media. And it actually was kind of like this internal debate. It's like, is this something that I need to like put in my Instagram bio or my about me on my website? Because before it never really felt significant. But I think like calling myself what I am is important right now, especially as someone that like can pass as white. And like ever since I've done that, like, I get so many other like Latina women reaching out to me just like saying that they feel inspired or they want to get a painting of themselves. And it's like, okay, well, like just stating my identity has power in and of itself. After hearing Alina's trail experiences, I hope you understand what I meant at the beginning of the episode by the formative role that it's played. Alina spent 5,000 plus miles on trail, cumulatively years of her young life. It helped her come to terms with her parents' divorce as a teen. It's where she met her partner. It's been a vehicle for exploring her identity and the inspiration behind her art. She told me too that it ultimately deepened her relationships with both her father and her mother as an adult. 
So while she didn't find all the answers on trail, it's made her more independent, resilient, and creative. And while I doubt Elena would say that you need to hike the AT to find out what you're made of, making a commitment to yourself, well, it doesn't hurt. Thank you to Alina for the conversation. You can see, you can find her and her art on Instagram at abstract.hikes and see more of her hiker art on throughdesigns.com. We also recently featured Alina's art on she-explores.com. I'll link her artistry feature in the show notes as well. Thank you to our sponsors, IconPass, Danner, and BetterHelp. Where We Walk, Stories from the Appalachian Trail, is a new She Explores miniseries made in collaboration with the Appalachian Trail Conservancy with support from REI. And it's launching on Monday right here, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. You can find She Explores on social media, our website, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Instagram at Gail Straub. If you enjoy listening, there are different ways to support us. You can subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. And if you'd like to connect, join us in the She Explores podcast Facebook group. Ad music in this episode is by Lee Rosever and Swelling using a Creative Commons attributions license. Additional music is licensed through Musicbed. She Explores is a production of Ravel Media, released on Wednesdays. Until next week.